and thank you for joining us for a special on location TRADOC leader professional development discussion. I'm Sarah Houck, a public affairs specialist for the TRADOC Communication Directorate, and as usual, I'll be the moderator for today's event. Joining me today is General Paul E. Funk II, Commanding General of the United States Army Training and Doctrine Command. Welcome, sir. It's a pleasure to have you, you have you back for another LPD, especially for um, a topic I know you're incredibly passionate oh, about. And I, just a real pleasure to have you here, sir. Um, and joining us today is also, um, we're going to be discussing Gen Z and the importance of truly understanding them and how they communicate and perform at their very best and how the Army can recruit and retain this unique generation. We're lucky to have a leader of research in the, on this particular group, Mr. Jason Dorsey, joining us for our discussion today. Jason is the president of the Center of Generational Kinetics, a global Gen Z research strategy and keynote speaking firm. Jason has led more than 70 generational studies and is the best-selling author of The Economy, How Gen Z Will Change the Future of Business and What to Do About It. He's also been featured on over 200 TV shows, from 60 Minutes to the Today, Today Show, and has a true passion for understanding Gen Z. Welcome, Jason. It's a true pleasure to be here at your headquarters today. Thank you. I'm fired up to be here. Glad to be with everyone. <laughs> Glad to be with you, General Funk. What an incredible honor. Yeah. I know this is a topic we're really passionate about and passionate about bringing a new perspective to Gen Z and generations that I believe will really help you as a leader. So thank you, Sarah, for inviting me to be here. Absolutely. It's, it's just a pleasure to be here in, in your station. And uh, just before we get started, I wanted to remind everyone that we want you to be part of the discussion today. So leave your questions in the comments section of the Facebook Live feed or even the watch page wherever you're tuning in from, and we'll try to get them answered during the event. If we can't, keep an eye on our social media pages. We'll get answers to your questions and have them posted in the near future. And with that, we're going to get started. Um, Jason, I think it's important to start with kind of the basics of this. Um, so how did you get into generational studies? Like, why Gen Z? How did, how did you create an entire career around generational studies? Yeah, it's a great question. It was completely unplanned, <laughs> as many good things. Uh, I was actually in a meeting with senior leaders, and they were trashing millennials. And I'm a millennial, and they were basically saying, you know, Jason, you're a generation. Their pants are falling off. They won't work on their birthday. I gave them a review. Their mom showed up, you know, all this stuff. They've been here two weeks. They want a promotion. You know, just really sort of basically every sort of generational negative stereotype you could think of, they sort of threw at me. And I'm a millennial. I didn't know any better, you know. Sometimes you just don't know. So... So I said, well, can I see your data? I'd love to see the data that you're saying sort of makes this case. Maybe it'll help me to solve it or come up with some different ideas or an approach or way to think about it. So they sent me their data, and I'll never forget, I'm reading this data as the next week, and as I was going through the data, it turns out that millennials were very loyal, and they were moving up in the organization, and they were re recommending great friends. I mean, it was everything the opposite of what I had just heard. Yeah. And so I went to my wife, who is much smarter than me. She has a PhD. Her name is Denise. I have that same problem. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> we both have that same problem, don't we? And so I went to Denise, and I said, Denise, this is the strangest thing. I just heard this senior leader you know, say all this stuff about millennials. It's not true. I looked at the data. It proves it's not true. What do you think we should do? Like, how do I help? What, what, what should we do? And she said, we should start a research firm. Because if the senior leader can't understand their own data, imagine what they could accomplish if we gave them data they could actually use. And that's how our research firm started 13 years ago. As you said, 70 studies, 700 clients all around the world. And we're on a mission to separate myth from truth. 
And this is so important because we can't talk about generations unless we go in with research and insights and data That's and right. not just cute stories because so much of what people think is true isn't. You hear people say, oh, baby boomers, they don't know technology. They invented the technology, <laughs> right? The phone you, Mr. Millennial, are using to make fun of the boomers, they made it <laughs> out of thin air. And then at the same time, people say Gen Z, who I know we're so passionate yep, about. That's right. You know, they're not loyal workers. They're not, you know, loyal to a cause. It turns out our clients have proved that Gen Z actually is already showing more tenure at jobs than millennials. And it should not be that way. They're also saving money and they want stability. I mean, they're completely different than people assume. So the more we can separate myth from truth, the more we help, and the better everybody can leverage their generational strength. So that's what gets me fired up. Very long answer. <laughs> the talk is now over. <laughs> no, I mean, this is incredible. I'm, I just, I think it's incredible that you've created an entire career with your wife and this entire firm that's really going to just really break into this generation. And I think it's important um, to not only understand where this firm has come from, but also Generation Z. So can you kind of discuss um, that generation and how it was shaped and how generations are shaped just in general? Yeah, perfect. And General Funk, feel free to add at any time. You know. <laughs> Anytime you want to jump That's in, right. no worries. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> the, uh, so when we think about a generation, and I, this to me is a very important point, so I'd like to step back for just a second. We throw around the term generation a lot, as if we all agree on what that is, know what that is, and have studied it. But what we find out through our research, and the way we define it at our research center, which is called the Center for Generational Kinetics, we define a generation as a segment of a geographically linked population that experience similar social and cultural events at roughly the same time in their maturation, leading to predictability by scenario. Don't worry, that's a lot of big words, <laughs> yeah. from, mainly for my wife. <laughs> but really what it means, I grew up out in the country, what it means at the end of the day is two things, and I wanna make sure we hit both of these. The first is, it's a group of people born about the same time, which we all learned yeah. you know, in eighth grade. Uh, right. But the second part of a generation is almost never talked about, and it's incredibly important, and that is, you have to be raised in about the same place. Mm. So born about the same time and raised in about the same place because in the same, in the same country, within the same generation, you will see differences based on geography. By the way, this is almost never talked about, yeah. and it's a huge issue when we think about recruiting and retention yes, and motivation. absolutely. We'll see differences between urban and rural. We'll see differences from people born outside the U.S. who moved here who may be the exact same age as you. So I grew up in a small town called Brenham, Texas, between Houston and Austin, very rural area. My best friend is from New York City. He and I were born same year, same month, same country, yet we have some different views of the world based on where we were raised. Because geography has a huge impact. Trends originate in urban areas and spread out to rural areas. Or as he and I would always joke, whatever's cool in Brooklyn ends up in Brenham two years later. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what's, what's really cool about that, Jason, is the Army's all about people. It is a people business. Mm -hmm. So uh, understanding where people come from, I, mean, you know, I absolutely lose a use a technique where I ask people, why'd you join our army and why do you continue to serve? And what the fascinating piece of what you just said is, while they all join from different parts of the country for different reasons, some to get away from things, some to get into things, some mm -hmm. to, for the educational benefit, you name it, but mm -hmm. almost invariably they stay because of the people. Mm -hmm. And it's about the relationships they make along the way. So mm -hmm. what you just said is, is really true. If you're, even though New York City and Brenham, Texas, they, when they come together, they see more similarities than, uh, than differences. Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing like a common cause to cut across generations exactly. and unite people. Yep. And, and so that sort of brings me to the two things I want to make sure and share for all the leaders that are watching. 
When we look at all the trends that shape generations, right? When we look at all of them together, there's two that are most important. And there are two, I believe, that are going to transform the Army if they have not already. And I'm speaking totally out of turn. <laughs> Fortunately, they don't know what I'm going to say. So that's really the secret to this whole deal. That's right. Uh, the first and most important trend that shapes generations and Gen Z, which we're talking about, the most important trend, by the way, never comes up anywhere I speak. And that trend is parenting. How you are raised is one of the greatest influences of what you will go on to do. Your career, your education, your spending, relationships, how you view risk. We learn from our parents things like, and hang with me, because I said, they told me I could be candid, is a job beneath you? Or, potentially, is it okay to consider a career in the Army? That's a real thing that we learn from parents. And people yes. often say to me, Jason, I want to understand Gen Z. Okay, great. We have to understand how they're raised. Because that's the hidden driver that we're not talking about enough. And we can go into that in a little bit more. So parenting is a key one. The second one is technology. And what we learned at our research is that technology, every one of us up here right now, has a different natural relationship with technology that is largely driven by our age. And I'll prove it right now. And they don't know I'm going to do this. It's going to be fun. So <laughs> awesome. <I'd> like, uh, <laughs> I'm in. Yeah, um, <laughs> what I'd love to know is, or just if you'll think about, what was the technology breakthrough of your youth? When you were a kid, maybe a teenager, you saw something, you got to play with something, you helped, like the, the technology that just changed how you viewed the world. I'm going to let Sarah answer that. Mine was color TV. <laughs> yes! So, yeah. yes! Yes! We got color TV! <laughs> that was amazing. And for all of you paying attention at home, that means he remembers black and white yes, TV. He <laughs> so it was the transition from black and white to color. <laughs> yeah. And what's so fun about color TV is when I interview people about it, they usually didn't have the color TV. They saw it somewhere else. Yeah. Right? Yep, that's they, right. They saw it in a store, somebody yep. else's house, but it wasn't theirs because that was a really rich thing to have. So, so my point is you remember it, and all of a sudden the world just changed, yes, right? Okay. Did. So, Sarah, he, he bought you time. What was yours? Honestly, um, the shift from the obnoxious dial-up internet that makes the horrible sound and your parents are knocking on the door, get off the internet, I need to use the phone, to an unwired wireless connection where you can be on the phone and be surfing the web at the same time. I think that honestly is the biggest shift in technology that I can relate to that comes to mind first when I'm asked that question. Absolutely. And remember when somebody would email you a picture in the early days of the internet and it would take 30 minutes yeah, to download? Yeah. Come in one at a time. <laughs> And you never knew what the image was because it's like coming exactly. together in a random order, right? And so, so you remember that, which now when you have high-speed internet yes. somewhere, you, you just, why is it taking so long to download a movie? And, and there's a point uh, to this. And that is, and this is one of our most famous discoveries, is that technology is only new if you remember it the way it was before. Hmm. Otherwise, it's all you've ever known. And this is such an important point when we think about communication, recruiting, retention, engagement, training, you name it. So the person who joins the Army today, at whatever that age is, and whatever technology the Army has, that is all they know about the Army. They don't know how much better it's gotten over right. the last year, That's five right. years, ten years. They have no context for mm. all the improvements because it's all you've ever known. And this is such a big deal because when we look across something through a technological lens, what you think is massive innovation, you go, oh, I sort of remember that change, <laughs> yeah. not really. And the next person goes, it's always been that way. Right. And yet we have to bridge that constantly. And the point of all this, and the reason it's so important to share this foundational piece, is that when we look at generations, particularly Gen Z today, but every generation, generations are clues and not a box. 
and this is a big deal. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to say, give me your birth year and I have a crystal ball. It doesn't work like that. But mathematically, what we prove is that generations give us a head start to do three things. And when I think about TradeOc and I think about everything I'll do, these three things are incredibly important. And that is connect with, build trust, and drive influence. That's, it's almost our leadership doctrine. See, I didn't even know yeah. that. It's like bonus points. <laughs> yeah. there all of a it's right. Get him in. Sign him up. <laughs> but, but if we think about almost all the actions we're trying to drive, all the behaviors, every That's single right. one, recruiting, retention, teamwork, innovation, you name it, we have to be able to connect, build trust, and drive influence. Yes. And so when we understand generations, we get a head start to say, okay, well, if I'm trying to communicate with this generation, I know I'm going to bring these preferences. They might have these. Let me try to adapt to them first. Yep. And what happens is people are always shocked that it works so well. And, and it's because you and I like to communicate in the way that's comfortable for us. Right. Right? We meet and we, all three of us, shook hands and made eye contact. Absolutely. And, you know, we're sort of had this respectful conversation and excited about today's time. But other groups may not communicate in that way. Right. They may not know to shake hands or look you in the eyes. In fact, some of our work, they find that if they're looking you in the eyes, it's actually disrespectful. That's a huge yeah. deal. So as we just think about this framework today, I just want to make sure before we go into Gen Z, they're clues and they're not a box. Geography has a big impact. And as we look across them, we want to look at parenting, technology, economics, mobility, and more. And that helps us to have a constructive conversation because every generation is valuable. And no one generation is more important than the others. But the better we understand each, the better we can pull forward their skills, talent, and ability. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned um, building trust, and that's a huge foundational thing for us with the, co the building cohesive teams. Mm -hmm. That's a major army just push right now mm -hmm. is to crack the code on how to truly understand right. every single one of our soldiers who are coming in um, to make sure that they feel valued and that their knowledge, skills, and ability mm -hmm. are being pulled out of them and truly being placed in the areas that they're going to shine in. So I mm -hmm. think that's really interesting that... Um, I think we were kind of focused on understanding people's backgrounds and cultures and where they come from, like the economy and things. But it sounds like that might actually be a generational thing. Mm -hmm. It might. Um, there seems to be some really tight correlations between mm -hmm. that. So that's that's a really really interesting um, correlation between what we're already doing as <coughs> leaders to build those cohesive teams to really get in and know everyone on our squad. Mm -hmm. And now it seems like generation we need to consider the generation that they're in the technology that they are mm -hmm. used to or think is just every day like turning on a light switch sometimes so this is really interesting so yeah, we don't even turn on the light switch now you just ask alexa to turn on. <laughs> this yeah, is very that, true there is no light somebody. switch <laughs> that's right which uh, which always freaks me out <laughs> yeah, so big brother's always watching that thing. absolutely we're just used to it yeah right? this person alexa and where is she yeah, well, my daughter, who I know is watching, she wakes up every day and asks Alexa to tell her a joke, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, her awesome. first conversation is with Alexa, yeah. you know, <laughs> followed by what's the weather and, you know, all this sort of stuff. But, but then this goes back to a great point, which is trust and everything we're talking about. When you look at it through a generational lens, it's just another way to approach and sort of think through a situation you're trying to create or an experience you're trying to have. And to me, that's really important. It's not saying that you know, a disc profile or some other different way of looking at people isn't valuable. It's as a leader, I want to know all these different ways I can think about and approach a situation because then I can be best informed sure. and I can choose, this is really the secret, not just what works for the other person, but what works for me. And so this is the trick. It's not about catering or coddling. And, and I have a big soapbox on this, so I apologize <laughs> if I go off on it. But 
there was this big thing that millennials and Gen Z, everybody needs a trophy. I need a ribbon. Yeah. I've been here two days in a row. I was late both times, but I should get <laughs> yeah. something, right? But what our research actually finds is doing that creates all the reverse outcomes. And it's so fascinating. And what I mean by that is if you reward or recognize or incentivize people for things that they didn't actually earn, then they don't think they have to earn it. And then you run into a trust issue, General yeah. Funk, which is super interesting, yes. which is a concept of fairness. And as soon as you start to change the rules for one group and not for another, or one person gets a slide and the other one doesn't, yeah. all of a sudden, all of the rest, everybody else says, oh, that's not fair. Yeah. And then what they do, they mimic it, they start to push the boundaries, and so the, the media will tell you, oh, you need to be flexible, this, that, and the other. And what we found is that's not true. Whatever you say are the rules, are the rules. And as soon as you start making exceptions in all these different ways, if particularly if I just made an exception for Sarah because we're friends, yeah. then other people would say, well, then I want an exception too. Very, very true with the younger generation, and we've seen this in our research. So I just want to say there's no catering, there's no coddling, there's no false praise. It is about empathy. It is about seeking to understand. It is about not trying to be right, but to learn. And if we do that, you can create all kinds of amazing things. You know what's amazing about that is we have a process in the <coughs> Army called exceptions to policy. And it's where we make determinations based on conditions, so, you know, individual concerns or conditions. But I could, I could see where, uh, from an outside lens, people would look at that and, and question the fairness of something mm -hmm. of that nature because they don't have the context of what's going on. So Absolutely. that's why we have to go back to the why, mm -hmm. I think, is why that is. And it, so uh, that was, that's fascinating right there. That really is mm -hmm. a, a, a great insight. Mm -hmm. So do you, maybe we should talk about Gen Z. Does that sound okay? I think that'd be great to kind yeah. of, because honestly, you and I are both millennials, and I know that our generation gets some um, some bad raps sometimes. So sometimes. <laughs> but I think it's great to um, kind of pinpoint Gen yeah. Z's um, just what makes them unique mm -hmm. and what is going, they are the future of our society. So yep, how absolutely. they will shape and <coughs> possibly even change society as a mm -hmm. whole. So I think that'd be great to discuss Gen Z, who they are, what makes them tick. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So the way we think about Gen Z, first, I think it's important to talk about names, just so we know what we're talking about. Uh, for those of us watching internationally, we might say Gen Z, Gen Z and Gen Z, same generation, different name. Uh, we actually believe their name, uh, Gen Z, will change in 10 to 15 years. Yeah. They'll get a different name, much like millennials used to be Gen Y. Yeah. Tends to yeah, be reflective, right, right of mm -hmm. a characteristic later on. The key thing here is the birth year, and I want to focus on Gen Z in the U.S. We do studies about Gen Z all around the world, but for today I think the U.S. is most applicable. When we think about Gen Z, we first have to understand where does the generation start. And historically, unfortunately, in our field of research, um, people have typically said they like round numbers. Oh, you know, millennials are 1980 to 2000. And then I say, well, where did that come from? And they say, well, it's two decades, which is just totally made up. Why don't you pick, you know, 79 to 92? I mean, it's yeah. just like completely arbitrary. And so when we think about generations, we're trying to find predictability by scenario, which means they start to behave differently over a long period of time. Now, sometimes there's an event, and in this case, there's an event. Yeah. It's a very personal event to me. Other times, there's not an event. So when we think about what separates Gen Z, who's younger than you and I, from millennials who, who are us, when we think about that, there was one key event, and, and it's maybe a little bit personal, but I'm going to share it if it's okay with yeah. you. Um, and that was September the 11th, 2001. That was the generation-defining moment of millennials. Why is this important to Gen Z? Hang with me. Uh, I, I'm willing to fathom a guess that all three of us remember where we were on 9-11. Absolutely. Right? Without question. Mm -hmm. So for me, 
Uh, I was in Los Angeles. I was there with my father, uh, and and uh, you've met my father. Yep. And uh, my my dad is is a big guy. He's you know six four, big baby boomer. And we're out in Los Angeles. I was there for work, and he was traveling with me. And so we were there. I turn on the TV, and I saw what everybody else would have seen. Y'all might have seen a different version, but for me, I saw it in the hotel room. I'm sitting at the edge of the bed. I'm watching the TV, and I just start crying. I'm a total mess, and I don't mind. Y'all are the tough ones, not me. I'm, <laughs> I'm just completely a mess crying. Uh, yeah, I went to college in upstate New York. My family's from New York <clears throat> on both sides. And then my um, grandparents lived in New York City, and my friends worked in the city downtown. So this is a very personal place yeah. to me, a place I've been to many times and, and vividly know um, the area. So I'm just completely crying. When I saw the second tower, I mean, I just lost it. My dad was sitting on the couch watching the same TV as me. And he's watching, and he has no emotion at all, just completely stone-faced. I mean, he's sitting up completely straight, no emotion at all. I'm crying. I'm a mess. He's watching, no emotion. And about 30 minutes later, my grandfather calls me. My grandfather grew up in Brooklyn. He was 80 years old, and please listen to what he said. He says, J-Boy, it's going to be okay. We've been through this before, and we got through it. We'll get through it again. I promise you, it's going to be okay. We've been through this before. What was he referring to? World War II. Well, yeah, exactly. Pearl Harbor. This is very important for everybody watching. Maybe the most important thing I'll share. This is called generational context. So you have a singular event, in this case, 9-11. Uh, My grandfather's 80 years old, thinks about Pearl Harbor, because that's what he flashed back to. But most importantly, he plays the movie forward and says, we've been through this before, we got through it, we will get through it to get again. My dad, born in 1952, completely emotional, so it took me several years to get him to tell me what he was thinking on that day. He would not speak about it. And finally what he told me was that he was sitting there on that couch looking at me, looking at the TV, thinking of the Vietnam draft and that I, as his oldest son, was about to get drafted. I'm sitting there. I have no context. I have no history to play forward. So I'm just a mess. I have no idea what's going to happen next, what's going to happen to the world. No idea. Gen Z, who are 23 and even 24 years old today, do not remember 9-11. For them, it's something they learned about in school or from a parent or a grandparent or an older sibling or they watched it on YouTube. It is not a contemporary event for them. For this to be a generation-defining moment, it has to stop you in your tracks, create fear of the unknown. In fact, if you talk to every millennial and you ask them, where were you on 9-11? And then you start to ask them, who were you with? What did the room look like? They will describe in detail that moment because you have an emotional anchor. And the key here is, while it changed millennials forever, Gen Z does not remember it. And so when we think about where does Gen Z start and where do millennials end, it's 9-11. But this is the secret. You have to back up enough to be old enough to remember 9-11, to put it in context, to create emotion, most importantly, to create fear. And that's why when you look at birth years, Gen Z or millennials uh, don't. Uh, millennials stop around somewhere between 95, 96, maybe 97 at the very latest. Because if you're three or four years old, you can't put it in context, right? right? You didn't see it that morning. If your parents were told, don't turn on the TV. So that's where we know where millennials ended, which by the way, 9-11 uh, and the awful terrorism there uh, sparked a whole generation of millennials to consider the army and other, yes, you know, uh, uh, other uh, branches at the same time 
Gen Z doesn't remember it. So just know that's history. That'd be like you saying, Jason, the JFK assassination, does that yep. motivate you to do something? It's just not a contemporary right. event, right? Exactly. So, so now we know where they start. Where do they end? We don't know because they're so young. We can't tell exactly where they end. But we do know that COVID-19 is Gen Z's generation defining moment, mm -hmm. which we can talk about more. But let me go just real high level into who is Gen Z based on our research. So the oldest members of Gen Z are 23, 24-ish years old. They're the most diverse generation we've ever had in the U.S., which is very important. We have to be keenly aware of diversity, how they define it. We have to embrace it, include it, and celebrate it. It's so important. What else do we know about Gen Z? They were raised by primarily, this offends me a little bit, by Generation <laughs> X. My wife is in Gen X. She's six years older than me. <laughs> and Gen X, they have this strong attitude. My wife always likes to say, trust but verify. <laughs> It's and on Funk's Fundamentals. Oh, right there. I mean, I see. knew I liked her. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what Gen X tells us in our research, we wrote about this in the Z Economy book, Gen X told their Gen Z kids, and I quote, you will not end up like one of those entitled millennials. <laughs> so they actually tried to raise their kids differently, which is really interesting. So what do we know? Gen Z comes of age raised by, parented differently. They come of age around the Great Recession. They're not in the workforce, but they're old enough to understand it, right. create fear around it, see their parents struggle, maybe lose their jobs, people lose houses. At the same time, we know that as Gen Z's coming of age, right, they're coming of age, what do they have? Social media and smartphones. For millennials like us, those were still new, right? We still remember the times before them. Gen Z does not remember a time before that. In fact, when I call my daughter, may I borrow your phone right here? Absolutely. Yeah, don't worry, I promise not to unlock it. <laughs> Yeah. So when I call my daughter, who's 10 years old, Raya, how do I speak with her? Like this, right? Yes. We, have, we do FaceTime, right? Right. And if I call her like this, she won't talk to me. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because phones are not made for talking. They're made for what? Video. Video. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. What was the cartoon where you could see the person you were talking to? Do you remember? Yep. The Jetsons. Yes. The that's Jetsons. Right. She's living the Jetsons. Okay. <laughs> she will think the Jetsons is about the past. Yeah. yeah. So they've always come of age with smartphones. And people say, well, Jason, why do they trust TikTok and social media so much as news? Because it's all they've ever known. Like that to me is so important. So different relationship with technology. They're the most globally connected generation, which changes a lot of conversation. You start to put all that together, plus the pandemic, they are very different than millennials. Yes. And to me, this is the secret. People say Gen Z is a more extreme version of the millennials. That is completely false. They are a fundamentally different generation, raised differently, different technology, different economic events, very different experience during COVID, which I'm happy to talk about. The result is what they're bringing into adulthood is different. In fact, we predict, the most controversial thing I'll share today, we predict that in many workforces, Gen Z will actually leapfrog millennials. Why is that? What our research is showing is that Gen Z, and you see this right now, by the way, Gen Z is driving summer employment. So if you look at who's taking these summer jobs, it's Gen Z. They're going 15 bucks an hour. I get to pick my schedule. I can start right now. Yeah. Amazing. Gen Z, the teens are actually helping to drive a lot of this rebound. Nobody's talking about the teens, but they really are. Remember, they're frugal. So what do we think? Who do you think gets promoted faster in a typical work environment? The person who says, I've been here three months. Where's my promotion? And I want to work remotely. Or the one who says, I'll take whatever job you have. Just give me a chance. Uh, absolutely. Which goes to the recruiter question. Mm -hmm. Really, it does. And when, we, when you think about that, that's who we're competing against. Mm -hmm. Those industry entry jobs, that's where we're, we're trying to get our recruiting force into connecting to those people. Mm -hmm. So if you get a chance, Jason, hit, hit what the techniques and where, where we can go with uh, mm -hmm. the actual uh, 
what kind of media we ought to connect with, too. That would be very helpful. Yeah, can I jump into that, sir? No, absolutely. No, that was exactly where I was thinking because it's like we have the millennials who are joining our force now, and mm. we have mentioned that they have a much different relationship with um, technology and where they get their news, mm -hmm. which would be yes. how to join our what army. So how to, all of that matters. How, yeah. how do we reach Gen Z, yeah. who's always on their phone when mm -hmm. the um, army's recruiting techniques may be mm -hmm. more old school for us it's not old school it's a commercial or some an ad we see on the internet so how, how the do we army's not old school <laughs> general funk didn't bring a piece of paper and a pen to take notes <laughs> the uh guilty <laughs> so when when we think about trying to uh what we call generational marketing when you think about trying to engage gen z in particular this is one of the most important things about recruiting and marketing because to me recruiting is marketing like at the end yes, of the day that's all it is, it is right that's right we're yeah. trying to get people to see themselves in a future state that we believe is the right one for them so when we think about recruiting the, the key thing is you have to go to where gen z already is and this is a very big deal yes. historically recruiters and this is just not all recruiters I'm just saying recruiting in general they're going to come to us they're going to come find us where we are maybe they're going to go to a big sporting event or maybe I'm going to meet them at a campus somewhere, or they're, somehow they're going to walk into some location. And what we found is that's just not true anymore for a bunch of reasons. You have to go where Gen Z already spends their time, which we know is social media. Ironically, it's different social media platforms than other generations, even millennials, right? Gen Z will tell you, oh, Facebook, that's for old people. <laughs> you know, like millennials, <laughs> with your skinny jeans and your side part. <laughs> so, as did, uh, did anybody get that joke? I oh, did. I, I got, got it. it. Yeah, okay. yeah th thank you. I, I liked what you did there. Cover my side part. <laughs> <laughs> Look, there's a whole bunch of people watching right now like, yeah, I have no, no idea. idea they're they're Googling about. right now. What is a side part and what are skinny <laughs> jeans? I'm, I'm in the Army days, and I don't know. But they, um, when, you, when you think about this, where does Gen Z hang out? TikTok, we know. YouTube, we know, Snapchat, even Instagram. But if you had to, to pick some of these, where would I focus my attention? I would focus very heavily on TikTok because we know TikTok is a very big one. It's a, you know, we joke, it's sort of a, a time suck for Gen Z. They turn it on and hours later, they're still there watching whatever the latest <laughs> video is. At the same time, the other one is YouTube. Now, as many people think YouTube is, you know, oh, that YouTube's for other people. No, no, YouTube is where Gen Z goes. That's their version of television. Hmm. Okay, this is really important. Of all these people that bought smart TVs and the biggest TVs, when you look at Gen Z, what size TV are they looking at? One this big, yeah. right? And they're on YouTube or they're on TikTok, maybe on Instagram or Snapchat. But the key is you have to go to where they are first and foremost. If you are not there, they are not going to find you. Mm. This is incredibly important. Now remember, it takes a lot of impressions to build interest. Yes, it does. So it's not just going there once and doing one interview. Yeah. It's being oh, there, yeah. being relevant, served up the right way, and so forth. So yeah. the first is we want to go to where they are in digital media. And then when they want to connect with us, let's say you're driving a conversation, you've got to make sure you communicate in the way that works for them, whether that's text message, video yeah. chat, whatever yeah. it is. We always want them to come to us and communicate how we like it. But that's not what you do in a recruiting process. Right. You have to go to where they are, and that's so important, through the, me uh, the, the methods that they like. So first is knowing that. Second, as we think about messaging to them, and again, I'm, I'm probably speaking out of turn, the good news is I did not get approval. <laughs> and that is um, we, have to, we have to set up our recruiting messages in a way that they see diversity, yep. that they feel celebrated. Yep. And I'm going to go really deeper for a second. They have to see their own story in the stories. Yeah, it's fascinating. You're, you're exactly right, too. And it's why I ask those questions. You know, why did you join and why you continue to serve? Because they need to see themselves 
in the group they're in. Yep, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And going even further than that, because you know me, we, we're behavioral researchers, to go even further, what you want to do is they need to see themselves being successful in that future state. Yes. It's not just can I get in, right. it's can I be successful. Yep. And then does that definition of success align with what I want? So for example, what do we know that Gen Z really wants? We know that they want a stability in an employer. That's a big deal to them. A lot of people don't talk about that, but stability is a huge deal for Gen Z. They want benefits. We've never had a generation so young ask about benefits in their recruiting. Yes. And it's so fast. I talk to recruiters all the time like, Jason, you know, it used to be that uh, when you talk to millennials about the Bennies, that meant like money that show me the Benjamins. When you talk to Gen Z about Bennies, it means the benefits. Yes. Like, what am I getting? Am yeah. I getting retirement and, you know, this insurance? They want pet insurance. I mean, like all kinds of fun, that, interesting yes, stuff. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I have that on my Q code, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Which I have. <laughs> so, the, so the idea here is we want to play a pull forward to them what matters to them now. By the way, a lot of people like to say what's going to matter to you later. When you're 30, this will matter to you. Well, let me tell you, when you're 19, <laughs> 30 is ancient. You're out there, you know, like with the dinosaurs, okay? Yeah. So you got to do what matters to them. By the way, what you think at 18 will matter to you when you're 30 uh, rarely actually matters to you when you're 30. Just so you know, people, humans are very poor predictors of what they actually want in the future. But the idea here is how do we meet them where they are with uh, messengers that look like them, yes. right? And messengers that have a story like theirs. Yeah. It can't just be this superficial stuff. You've got to share right. a story. That's right. You know, I mean, for me, I grew up in a rural town. I didn't feel like I fit in. I, let, I never finished high school. A lot of people don't know that. I never even finished college. I wrote a book, and I had to sort of go out on my own and sleep on a floor and go through all these things to, to, as part of my journey to figure it out. And what's interesting is if I talk with people who went on a similar journey, there's an instant what? Connection. Connection. They go, I totally get that. I know yeah. exactly what that feels like. Yeah. And so that's what we're trying to create with the generation. And it's not about dressing hip or cool. or anything. They see through that in a second. Yeah. What else do we need to do in recruiting? We need to make sure that we stay in much more frequent communication. Now, frequency of communication drives trust, but we have to do it the right way, which tends to be digital. So that's text, it's messaging, it's these sorts of things. It's not calling them up or trying to meet them face-to-face. -face. It's connecting in the way that's most comfortable to them to get them to want to meet face-to-face, -to, -face, to get them right. to want to do that next step. What else have we seen? I'm going to share with you all some tricks here, okay? So don't tell this to anybody. <laughs> What we know is if you're trying to drive some initial interest, you have to let people start the application or sort of raise their hand with the smallest ask possible. Um, this is not an example for the Army, but it's an example y'all can each customize and apply. I'll give you the example. So we found if you went on a, any recruiting website and you started an application, do you know that depending on the website, half of the people or more never finish the application? And I have this big belief, and you've heard me talk about this, General Funk, and it's in my Z Economy book. You can't hire people who don't apply. Yeah, that's like, right. At the that's end of right. the day, right? Yeah. We, we got to get people to apply and more so even the right people to apply. So what do you do? You allow them to start the application with the least amount of information possible. Mm -hmm. Email, cell yeah. phone, whatever you get. And then, this is the secret, they need to save as they go. And here's what we found. Is if they start it and they save it, or even if they just start it and don't finish it, that gives you the ability to reach back out to them and it says this, hey Sarah, I saw you start your application. We think you might be a great fit for us. We'd love for you to finish the application. Here's the link. If you click it, it'll take you right to your already saved application. Well, what happens? Without paying one cent more, we've seen application completions go up by up to 50%. Wow. Because you did two things. One, they probably got distracted, didn't have all the information, whatever, but you then showed them we actually are interested in you. That's a big deal. Yes. And one click to get you right back to finish what you already started. 
So that's sort of a trip. What else do we know? We know in the descriptions, and I've candidly been through y'all's website and looked through some of the descriptions. I'm not going there today. <laughs> but the first two sentences of a job description or career path determine whether or not Gen Z will read the rest of it. First two sentences. First two sentences. Interesting. you got to hook them in the beginning. Yeah. Why? Because they're deciding whether or not to keep scrolling. Eight seconds. Eight, five to eight seconds, right? Exactly. Yeah. And in words they understand, nobody's impressed by your big words. Nobody knows half the things that y'all are putting in there, okay? <laughs> it's super cool you know those words. Yeah. They don't know the words, so right. it doesn't work, right? So the trick here is the first few sentences need to grab them. Most important thing you can put on any recruiting page is a video. Because what you'll find is people click play before they start to read. This is a generation that has been conditioned to not have to read anything, anything. at all, yeah. ever. Now you sent them to a recruiting page right. full of a whole bunch of text. <laughs> That's right. That's actually that absolutely Which, right. by the way, sends a subtle message of we don't actually understand who we're trying to engage yeah. with. Right? Mm -hmm. So once you start the recruiting and you keep them engaged, then you want to be able to provide assets or resources that they can share with the blockers. Who are the blockers? Parents, Parents. and friends. Uh, school counselors, school. we need we need to connect with them. We got to get them to be advocates as opposed to blockers. Mm -hmm. You're right. Yeah, I have a theory when it comes to recruiting, which is I want the blockers either on my side or out of the way. Yeah. I don't actually care really which one of those two it is. Yeah. I'd prefer them to be advocates, but if I can't get them there, at least I don't want them to be in the way. Correct. Right? If That's I can right. Just get them to a neutral state and then be open to the idea yeah. that this might be the right fit. That's a huge win, yes. right? So the trick is then you want to provide resources, particularly videos and others, that the people that they can share it with. It needs to be easily forwarded or shared. Mm. Hey, mom, or hey, dad, or hey, counselor, or hey, whoever it is that you look up to. I'm thinking about a career in the Army. Um, here's something that I thought, you know, we take a look at this, tell me what you think. It's just a simple conversation starter to try to get them on the right side with you. So language and dialect also matter then, Jason. Massively. Yeah. By the way, English, Spanish, multiple languages. Yes. And, and, and I, you know, my, my wife, uh, for those of you that follow our research at CGK, my wife is Hispanic. She speaks Spanish. Uh, my daughter goes to a Spanish school. And one of the things that's interesting, when you offer um, content in dual language, there's two things you've got to worry about. Uh, one is putting it in a place in a way that's very respectful to both. You've got to make sure, by the way, that it says the same thing, because sometimes it doesn't Correct. say the right. same thing. Right. And when people are trying to talk about it, but you need to make it easily shareable. So that when you send it, because sometimes what we're finding is when they share it with a parent or more likely the grandparent even, they need to be able to read it in a way that they're very comfortable with. And sometimes people will make things very formal in other languages because right. they think that's the right approach. And <coughs> it turns out that's very hard to read. So as we put these things together, we want to make sure that you have the right information, as you said, uh, dialect and so forth. You want as much of it in video as possible. Yep. Yep. By the way, if you have videos, they've got to have subtitles. People yep. don't watch the videos, they read them. <laughs> it's really funny. They read them as they play. It's hilarious. So it's these sorts of things. Yeah, for a group that doesn't read, right? It's right. like, yeah. They don't want to scroll down, but they want to watch it, and then they'll decide. Um, that also <laughs> increases, by the way, the view rate of your videos is if they start with subtitles. So the idea here is we, right, all of us who are trying to reach and, and connect and build trust and drive influence need to adapt to them. And if I could leave everybody with one thing, when it comes to recruiting, it's not about getting them to adapt to us. That's not recruiting. Right? Recruiting is adapting to meet people where they are in a way that connects with them to get them to want to go on a journey with us so ultimately they see their future in alignment with ours. How do the values, uh, take the Army values for example, uh, Jason, how do, how do those buy into them wanting to stay or continuing to mm -hmm. um, be interested in serving or seeing themselves with us? How does that work? Sure. So in general, this is, these are all unfortunate, but you know me, I'm very much into data and you got to tell the <laughs> truth. 
there, there's a lot of uh, healthy skepticism about things such as values, core values, mission statement, purpose, all that by these uh, younger generations, right. Gen Z and younger millennials, right. which makes sense, by the way, because they've come of age at a time where a lot of big organizations didn't live up to those things, mm -hmm. right? We're all about the environment, and then they do all this pollution, right? right? I mean, we could go through tons of these. Yeah. We care deeply about our employees. COVID hits. We lay off everybody, but the CEOs make all the money, right? right? Like all this sort of, those narratives have really right. stuck with this generation. Right. So the trick for them to be excited or inspired um, about values is they actually have to see the values in action. Okay. And, and the key here, this is really important, um, and I appreciate you asking this question, is that the values, the irony is, Values are often spoken about by those at the top, but they're best exhibited by those at the bottom. Right. Right? And so, so yes, you see the executives or the, the senior leaders talk about the values, but the real question always is when you go to the person closest to the front lines and you ask them, what are the values? Do you believe them? Have you seen them live up right. to it? That's where you get the most candid commentary. Mm -hmm. And so right. whenever we're trying to bring values to life, we want people at different sort of levels, if you will, um, experience, backgrounds, ages, you name it, to be able to share their experience interacting with right. those values. Mm -hmm. In fact, you know me, I'm very specific about it. I like to see values in action. Yep. Where's the time that your the values of the organization were challenged and the organization did the right thing and yep. stood up for the values, even when it was uncomfortable, even when people didn't like it, right. but it was still the right thing to do? Right. That's what people believe in. Yep. Right. You have to really bring those values to life. And if recruiters are going to talk about it, then recruiters need to share how the values have impacted their life. Right. That's how right. they've lived it. It's how a personal story and a personal journey. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. And the values need to be consistent. They need to be messaged everywhere. And they need to be the kind of thing that when we talk about those, and I see this a lot in meetings that we do, we'll ask, how have you lived one of our core values? Right. I mean, you, you all saw my core values are on the wall in, in the next room. But so we ask, how we live the core values this week? We even give awards for who best of the uh, one of our values, you know, this quarter, that sort of thing. Yeah, right? we try to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, because you want it to not be a poster. Correct. You know, it's got to be something that people actually believe in and will stand up for and fight for. And, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to give in. We call these non-negotiables. Yeah. These are the things that even when it's uncomfortable uh, and it's, it's exhausting to do it and you just you can't believe you got to go do it, you still do it yeah. because it's a non-negotiable. That's right. And I know that the Army and the leadership has non-negotiables just because the Army is built on those core values Correct. that have to, that everyone is held accountable right. to. That's right. um, they're given to you as soon as you walk through the gates of the MEP station. They, mm -hmm. uh, that is where we build the foundation of the Army is through these values. And um, I think the Army has done a very um, good job, specifically at TRADOC, of sharing those stories of soldiers on the TRADOC squad living up to those values because like you said generation z they want to see those mm -hmm. values in action they want to see how what they do on a daily basis fits into mm -hmm. the army and the values that are foundational for this mm -hmm. force so i think mm -hmm. that's i think that's incredibly um it's reassuring to hear that that's what they want to mm -hmm. do and that's um really the focus that we have sharing information um through mm -hmm. the trade-off channel specifically with videos of people saying hey I love what I do, and this is why. Mm -hmm. And it, it, just that connection that you mentioned. Yeah, it, you, you, you um, sparked something that uh, I'll share too, yeah, which is how do we fit into things. One of the areas of research we've looked at and, and done a number of studies on is that Gen Z really wants to know how they're going to have an impact on the organization. Right. Like where do they fit, not so much in the organization, but how is their role important to the overall organization, right? Mm -hmm. And that's something that a lot of times is not messaged. 
what's messaged is, and I'm not speaking for the Army, I'm speaking yeah. sort of uh, generally, which is, here's what your career path is. Here's what a progression right. looks like. It's a very linear, here's, here's how you can move up. By the way, that's a completely baby boomer thing to do. Well, right? we have, yes, exactly right. Did it, I just speak out of turn? Am I, no, am I no. not being invited back? No, <laughs> that's exactly right. We have career paths, and everybody wants to know how they're going to excel, and it's the journey that matters. Absolutely, yeah. and the idea that they have some influence over options and pathways and that they're a part of the bigger piece yeah. and that the, the bigger organization is stronger and better because they're a part of it, right? It, it, you know, it's, it's really this high desire for impact. It's not that they expect to change the organization, but they want to know that by being there and contributing, they're actually going to have an impact. Yes. And, and to me, that, I think it's so powerful. Uh, another way that we think about this is if you want to retain people, uh, one of the most important things you can do is show them they're making progress even if they're not getting promoted. Which we call the counseling system, and that's what we're supposed to do. Is, right. you know, you're supposed to do performance-oriented yes. counseling every, every month to, to show where you're standing and what you're doing and how, how you're impacting the organization and where you're moving up on your career path. Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of a baby boomer thing, too. It actually happens to be an Army doctrine thing as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, you know, so we're probably on the right track there. Yeah, and the way I would think about it is, um, is frequency of that feedback really matters. So yeah. we did a study on that, and basically Gen Z wants to hear from their leadership. And y'all may not be able to do this, so <laughs> don't log off yet. Um, is that, you know, they need check-in feedback once a week for at least five to ten seconds. That's, a, that's amazing. That, I see that. I absolutely see mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does it have to be written, or is no, it digital, or is it that. voice? No, they, I mean, it could be as simple as great work, or saw how you solved that problem, or even just, you know, it doesn't make work here, but thanks for being here. All those little bitties, just, I like to think of them as text messages that you're giving to them. Yeah. Once a week makes all the difference in the world because they feel included, they feel valued, they feel seen, like all of that. And it's not like we need to coach them up. That's not it. That's not yeah. what they're saying they want. They just want a sense of connection from the leadership uh, and the frequency happened to be once a week for 10 seconds or less. I like to say that that's catching people doing things right. Mm -hmm. Well, and it also goes back to one of your fundamental serves. Leadership's a contact sport. You've got to get really down is. there. And I now, love that. Yeah. Yeah, Did I'm, he say that? Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. That's one of wow. his funk fundamentals. It's He just really encourages leadership from the top down. I mean, those squads. Touch base with everyone. If you see someone doing something right, like you said, catch people doing the right thing. Let them know. See something, say something has been adapted mm. to a positive outlook, I think. Mm. Um, see something, see someone doing something mm. great. Say something to them. They mm. want to know. So I think leadership right. is a contact I'm sport. I'm one of those funk fundamentals. So I'll even give you one. I will <laughs> even give you one. With the pen you brought. All right, <laughs> indeed. And uh, you can have my note cards as well. I, I, I wouldn't know what to do with that, yeah, but I, I appreciate the kind <laughs> offer. Thank you. Uh, but, yeah, so I, I think what's exciting here is just even having this conversation yeah. that, what worked five years ago may not work right. now. That's what you, you got to evolve. We have to change. Mm -hmm. You're exactly right, Jason. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. that's what this conversation is starting, mm -hmm. because the journey is continuous in the mm -hmm. army. Our job: fight and win the nation's wars. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. what we get paid to do. Mm -hmm. How we do that, where we do it, and how we compete is all about information, and it's all about how we're driving change in our army. How do we develop the leaders of the future? And how are, we, how are we driving change? That's what matters. Yes, sir, absolutely. And I have this belief, and, and again, I'm going to speak out of turn. Um, I have a belief that younger generations don't understand or see the tremendous value of the Army, to be candid, yeah. and that we really have to work to 
think about, I'm using the grand we here, uh, that, that we have to think about how to better message to them, better message to their influencers, better message uh, through the platforms that they use so that we can show them the opportunity uh, that I believe is here uh, in a way that they connect with and trust and then want to take a step. Absolutely. You know? yeah, that's exactly where I, where I want to go in the next. And I know we don't have a lot more time left. I want you to hit Millennial Leadership to Generation Z. Mm -hmm. I, I want you to talk about that. And, and you know, we got about 10 minutes left, it looks like. So mm -hmm. hit that piece. Sure. So the first thing we found with millennials as leaders, and I'll just sort of separate myth from truth, um, millennials can be fantastic leaders. And I think sometimes because of all the nonsense that has been said about our generation, Sarah, you and I, oh, millennials, they don't have work ethic. They don't know how to do this or that. Okay, for the record, I was here early this morning. <laughs> Let me just be crystal clear. That's I was here right. early yesterday, yeah. and I'll probably be the last one here today as well. Yeah. So, you know, th this sort of myth that millennials don't know how to lead, don't have work ethic, all that stuff, it's just not true. We call it uh, generations by proxy, which means you know one person that fits that, and you're like, everybody's like that. Yeah. And as I always tell the executives, that happens to be your kid. <laughs> I entertain myself. Um, so, so when we think about millennials, the first thing is to go, okay, millennials can be great, great leaders. You just got to go in with that mindset. What do we know that they um, can continually build on? Uh, communication styles and preferences. Many millennials have, uh, that have moved up in the organization uh, have learned how to communicate with older generations. It's part of the reason they were able to effectively move up. They learned how to work with Gen X. They learned how to work with boomers. But now it's at this really, and this, by the way, is not generational, it's life stage. They're at a life stage where now a new generation has come in with a different relationship with technology, a different way they prefer to communicate, different views on social causes. By the way, in our research, what Gen Z views as the most important social cause is different than what millennials view. At the same time, different views of money, like all these different things. So the key here is this for millennials as leaders is say, okay, a new generation has arrived. We've not been through this before. <laughs> We've got to relearn how to lead this next generation. That's right. That's right. That to me is really the key first step is going, okay, just because it's worked for the last 10, 15 years with those older doesn't mean it's going to naturally work with those who are younger. In fact, it could be a complete turnoff. Many millennials, you remember when you were in your early 20s and you're like, why are you doing that? That's, uh, let me mail you a letter. Like we never went to the post office, okay? <laughs> My mom got the letter, right? So the idea is that you want to first adapt to where they are and how they prefer to communicate. Second thing is, we know that Gen Z is watching you, and the most important thing you can do is model the behaviors and the values that you want them to implement. This is a really key thing. I know y'all are big in this in, in training and, and doctrine and so forth, but you have to live by the example you want them to then go ahead and actually implement. Yep. So, by the way, new leaders, number one thing they mess up. They want to be friends with the people they're leading. Right. And it is a super slippery slope. You can be friendly, but you got to be careful with that. You're still their boss. Yep. So you have to step into the role of being the model for the next generation. Yeah. And then the third thing is taking the time to learn what's important to them because so often it's different than what you actually think what's important to you. And I'll throw in a bonus one, which is uh, particularly in times of transition and in leadership, you have to be crystal clear on what is not changing. Yeah. So often, everybody wants to talk about what's changing. Right. New this, new that, new this, changing leadership. Yeah. What, what, what people need in organizations is stability. So they need to know what is not going to change, not just where you want to focus on what is changing. When we think about leadership, whether it's by transition or leading younger generations, 
it's really important to be clear on that. Both what's new and different you're going to hold them accountable to, including yourself, and also what's absolutely not going to change. And be crystal clear. And by the way, you may have to share it in a few different ways for it to really stick, yeah. but that's just human. That's technique matters. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It really does. It's, you know, I like to sum up the leadership part of, you know, be no do. I'm an old kind of old guy, so right? Be the leader you want to be led by. Mm -hmm. Know your squad. In other words, know the people in your organization. And then do the right things the right way. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I have to, you know, I'm, I'm an older guy, so i got to remember just short things. I I'm still not doing a push-up like contest with you. I'm not arm wrestling. We're not, we're not even going to thumb wrestle. All right? I, I accept none of those. Awesome. No, I, this has been really great. And I think um, some of the key things that I've pulled away from this conversation is that we're moving in a really great direction with communicating with with Gen Z um, we have initiatives like this is my squad where we're really getting down into the nitty-gritty of who we're serving next to we want to know where they came from what their family structure is um, those kinds of things that really um, determine who an individual is and how they uh, succeed in a force like the army uh, we also have why I serve and it sounds like based on the conversation today Gen Z's why I serve is going to change a little mm -hmm. bit just because they're driven by different things because of the way they were raised or parented or the, their, um, that, that target event within their generation. So I think these are really, really great things that um, as we move forward and we get these younger soldiers to explain right. to us why they serve, and I think those questions when you have contact with any soldiers of why did you join the Army yeah. and why do you continue to serve, yeah. as those change and adapt, those are going to be great milestones and keystones for us to grab onto those kind of those trigger words that these individuals... Correct. That's um, why I do that, Sarah. Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, it's about collecting the data. A Right, and it may be verbal data, it may be actual like number crunching data, but it's all incredibly important to understanding so that we can continue to be the army that the nation trusts. And because um, General Funkoy says we have to build trust because we need parents to feel comfortable sending us their sons and daughters. And we have to understand those sons and daughters that are coming to us so that they can feel valued and like they are making a, an impact on something that is much bigger than them and, and see it in a, a almost a tangible way. Mm -hmm. So I think we've got some really great initiatives that um, we can build on and make some changes to as the Generation Z continues to come in. And I think we've got some great information for our recruiters on how to connect with those people. Um, and I think we've just got a really great foundation after this this conversation today. So um, I want to thank Jason and, and General Funk for this incredibly insightful conversation um, on the generation who is the future of the Army and the society as a whole. Um, Jason, is there anything you'd like to say to kind of wrap mm -hmm. up today? Uh, sure. Two things, if that's okay. The, the first is that as we think about Gen Z, it's very easy to say, oh, these are younger people and, and sort of put them in a, in a place in your mind of where they fit and that everything we're talking about today should, is just applies to Gen Z. But what our research has shown consistently is that Gen Z is now driving trend adoption up to the older generations. So Gen Z is now leading the trends for millennials and Gen X and even baby boomers, right? Why is this important? If we understand and adapt to Gen Z now, we not only get them as a generation and can really best connect with them, but we'll end up being able to keep everybody else. What happens is if you don't adapt, you not only lose that generation, but you end up losing the other ones right. over time, That's which right. is really yeah. uh, important to know. The second thing uh, is totally um, off the script and talking points, not that I had a script, obviously, uh, <laughs> but I, I do want to say to you, General Funk, sir, and to you, Sarah, thank you so much, and to all of you that are watching right now, 
on behalf of me and my wife, Denise, and our daughter, Raya, I want to thank you so much for your service. We are incredibly grateful to you and for you. And so uh, across every generation, including a 10-year-old, uh, <laughs> we want to make sure and be able to share that with you today. So thank you so much for that. Absolutely, and thanks again, Jason, for hosting us today in your, your beautiful headquarters here. Um, General Funk, is there anything you'd like to share with our audience? Uh, absolutely. What a, what a tremendous uh, opportunity, Jason, to talk to one of the world's leading experts in this field, but more importantly, to see such a dedicated family to helping us see uh, what it means to serve in, in a different way. And, and so I, I will tell you, my, my wife and I are... are uh, son and daughter of the army. We we grew up in a, in this great army of ours, and uh, to see the the uh, respect what, that you and your family have for our great armies, and to for you to be willing to come out and help us find a way to connect to the next generation, the next greatest generation. We need to have those people. The number one and most important thing to our nation is its security. That's our job. We won't let you down because you're worth it. Thank you, sir. Thanks. It's been this has been remarkable, Sarah. Well done. Great job. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. And uh, to everybody out there, you know, victory truly does start here. This is what it means. Find a way. Find a reason. And find someone to help you see what's next, where we're going, how we can change, because our nation needs us. It needs us to lead now, and that's what we're going to do. So, on behalf of the United States Army's Training and Doctrine Command. Jason, thank you very much, and thank you for your service today in helping us see a better better way forward in our recruiting missions and in our leadership challenges. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. It's an honor. Absolutely, and I want to thank both of you again. And um, I also want to thank everyone who tuned in. Um, the Army is truly a people business, and Gen Z is the future of our right. Army. Um, to continue to be ready and lethal and be the force that we need to protect our, our great right. nation, we have to understand those who are choosing to serve alongside us. With data and research from form, firms like Jason's, we can tailor our recruiting, our retention, and even our, most importantly, honestly, our leadership yes. methods right. uh, to bring out the potential of groups like Gen Z. Um, just as our adversaries' technologies and methods continue to change and evolve, so too do the people we need to fight them. And Gen Z, I think, really has the potential to, to answer that call That's for right. us. Um, absolutely. And so this has just been a really great, great um, discussion. And um, I hope everyone will join us on August 5th at 11 a.m. Eastern for our next LPD webinar titled Tradoc Interns, A Win for All. We'll have some key players from the Tradoc Internship yep. Program as well as some of the individuals who are currently in the program uh, to share their experiences and really give us some insight into the successes that they're, they're feeling in those programs. So I hope everyone will join us. And as always, remember, victory starts right here. Special